0: setting up this section here is I'm just going to read a section of different verses, and then I'm going to pull them together. So it's going to sound scatterbrained, but it actually has a purpose. (laughs) Okay, so Isaiah 7, 1 through 2, says this, and you can turn to these if you want, or whatever works for you. Okay, so Isaiah 7, 1 through 2 says, Now it came about in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin the king of Aram, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not conquer it. When it was reported to the house of David, saying, the Arameans have camped in Ephraim, his heart and the hearts of the people shook as the trees of the forest shake with the wind. David and the, and so what we see here is not David, but um, Ahaz. Um, his heart shook like the trees of the wind. He was afraid, and they were terrified at the news that the Arameans were on their way to um, fight against them. Then in Isaiah 8, 11 through 13, turn there if you'd like, uh, it says this, For thus the Lord spoke to me with mighty power and instructed me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, You are not to say, it is a conspiracy in regard to all that the people call a conspiracy, and you are not to fear what they fear or be in dread of it. It is the Lord of hosts who you should regard as holy, and he shall be your fear and he shall be your dread. And in Isaiah 8, what we see is a situation very much like what we have been dealing with for the last couple of years, where the world is saying, it's a conspiracy, there's this, they're doing this, they're doing this, And, and there's alarm everywhere. And yet God's counsel to his people in when they were dealing with that very same situation is, is you are not to fear what they fear. Do not be in dread of what they are in dread of. Don't, um, don't worry about those things. Instead, fear me and regard me. Then Luke 21, seven through nine, the disciples, uh, questioned the Jesus saying, teacher, when therefore will these things happen? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, see to it that you are not misled for many will come in my name saying I am he and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and disturbances, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end does not follow immediately. So what we see here is that we um, are not to be misled. The scriptures have told us, Jesus has told us that what's going on in our world right now has to take place Before the end. This is, that's why, what I think is so exciting for us. We are living in this, don't be misled time. Don't be, don't worry about what's going on. These things must take place first. And though our world is in upheaval, that doesn't mean that we need to be in upheaval. We don't need to be caught up in um, all of their fears or their worries. Though my plane when I was flying into Spokane yesterday was diverted because a volcano w- exploded in Russia and, um, and the plume was affecting our, our flight in. So, I mean, talk about things happening, huh? Okay. So then, uh, second Thessalonians two, one through two says this. Now we request, we, I always stumble over request. Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter, as if from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. And what we see from 2 Thessalonians 2 is pretty much the same thing as what Jesus had just been talking about, that... There's, don't be disturbed by when false teachers are saying all the, these kinds of things that the day of the Lord has come. You don't need to fear. You will know that when the Lord comes, you don't have to worry, ladies, that you're going to miss it. (laughs) Which is super encouraging, isn't it? Um, But there is a, what we see in 2 Thessalonians 2, is just that added layer of being discerning. Don't be quickly shaken. And I think that's the point that I want you to get from 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 2, is don't be quickly shaken from your composure. Don't be disturbed in your spirit by what you're hearing in the world at large. But remember that the Lord has prepared our hearts. He has given us his word, and we can trust him. Second uh, 2 Thessalonians 2 verses 13 through 15 tells us this. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. And it was for this he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, my brethren, stand firm and hold to the the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. And what we see in that last little bit is that Paul is urging believers who are in difficult and troubling times to stand firm and to lean upon and hold to the truths that they had been taught. They weren't to go looking for new ways to stop their fear or anxiety. And this is something that we see happening. Oftentimes people want to look for, well, yeah, yeah, you, you know, it's just, um, you've told me that Bible verse. This isn't enough. And we, we discount the, the power of the Word of God to be enough for our souls. When we are afraid. And what we see in the Christian world at large is there are, they're looking for experiences still. They're still looking for things, the next new thing, the next thing that comes along. But God's word tells us that we are to stand firm and hold to what we have been taught. And you all have been taught well. And so you want to continue to hold to what you have been taught. So from that hodgepodge of all those verses, you just kind of think, my, what what is all of that about? Well, I think, you know, as we looked at those verses, we started out with just the example of that even the kings can have have their hearts be terrified by things that are going on around them. You know, we we looked at um in Isaiah and, and King Ahaz and that his heart shook like a tree. And I have had times when I have been so afraid that I've been like that, that I've been that fearful. And most likely, probably you all have too. And we've we've definitely have seen the scenarios of the whole, you know, conspiracies and all the things that the world is afraid of right now. They are so afraid. And God's counsel to us is do not be afraid like the world. Fear me. And we see Jesus even preparing his disciples. And because his word has been preserved for us and we have that, we see that we are to make sure that we are prepared as well, that we are not to be misled, that we are not to follow after the things that the world or even so-called Christian um, teachers are saying. We are to trust that these things are to be coming upon us for a purpose. God is sovereign, and he is in control of every event. And even all that yucky stuff that's on the news, that is from the Lord. And then we saw from the Second Thessalonians uh, verses, uh, just that admonition for us to stand firm in the Lord. And what we see here is um, just... All of this information, just that kind of this encouragement for us to prepare our hearts to be thinking rightly. And so, our text here in 1 Corinthians 16, all of that was intro, um, is just another way that we can prepare our hearts. Now, you all have probably heard of muscle memory, um, you know, like, um, if you're, I don't know, um, you're a guitarist, a pianist, um, if you shoot, you, if you shoot a bow, if you do anything, basically, um, you know, where we need muscle memory for something, just to remember to do things, um, typing, all of that is muscle memory. And basically, the whole idea of it is that when we are untrained in something, that then we keep doing it, and we keep practicing and keep practicing until our muscles remember what they are supposed to do. And uh, well, what we want to do in this session is look at how we can have spiritual muscle memory. And uh, so we uh, want our our spiritual muscle memory to become so honed and trained by God's word and how we need to think that we will just respond. And that's what's um, I'm sure is in your heart. Lord, how can I respond more quickly? to the truths from your word so that I'm not fumbling around. It's that fumbling around while we're trying to remember what am I supposed to do next that gets us into trouble at times, doesn't it? And so we want to have that quick spiritual muscle memory. Um, and this text in 1 Corinthians 16 is part of that training ground that will help us be ready no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in. And our text gives us five ways that we can practice our spiritual muscle memory skills so that we can respond in a God-glorifying way um, to the Lord. So our first command, and let me just read the text. Um, It says, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. So that's where we're headed. And our first command comes right off the bat, be on the alert. And this is a present active command, which tells us that we are to always and continually be on the alert. And as you know, I mean, we don't need uh, too much information about the word alert. It just means to carefully watch, to be on guard, to take notice, uh, to keep an eye out so that calamity doesn't suddenly overtake you. Uh, to be watchful means that we aren't careless, um, indifferent, complacent, or easily deceived. And I think that's kind of the idea behind even my comments about, you know, the Hobby Lobby life versus Home Depot life. Um, because we are to be on the alert. And for me, when I connotate Hobby Lobby life, I mean, you kind of go in there and you don't, you're not on the alert. You're just kind of like, ah, <sighs> You know, the hymns are plain, I'm just going to go through here, and oftentimes you just bring your little coffee with you, and you just stroll. (sighs) And we're not on the alert at Hobby Lobby RV. At Home Depot, there's a whole different idea, you know, because we go in and it's like, I need to take care of these things, I've got a purpose, I've got a plan, I need to acquire um, something And so that's the idea behind alert is how can we be vigilant? And so, how can we? What should we be? alert about. And the scriptures tell us. uh, They give us very specific things that we need to look out for or pay attention to if we are going to be alert women. And the first thing is we need to be alert to the Lord's soon return, which we've already talked about a little bit. Matthew 24, 42 tells us, therefore be on the alert for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. We are called to be ready for his soon return. And he... Christians have been looking for his soon return since Jesus went up in the clouds. You know, um, about even on the road to Emmaus, you know how Jesus even talked to the disciples there on that road about that. And the angels even rebuked the disciples. Why are you looking in the sky? (laughs) We're we're waiting for his return. Um, So they, I guess they must have thought he was going to come right back down. But we're still waiting. But it's soon. It's soon. And so we are to be alert to the Lord's soon return. Number two, we are to be alert to an earthly focus. And when Jesus, when he was talking and teaching about the end times, he told his disciples that the end was near in Luke 21 34 through 36. And he said, Be on guard so that your hearts will not be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life and that. And that day will not come on you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of the earth. But keep alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And so Jesus encourages us and tells us to keep on the alert, um, especially to keep on the alert for an earthly focus do I have an earthly focus? He says, don't be weighted down by sin. Don't be weighted down by the worries of life. Don't, don't be thinking, focusing on that. Be alert to that focus, because if so, you're going to miss that the Lord's is returning soon. You're not going to be thinking about those things. So, we're to be alert to the Lord's soon return. Be alert to an earthly focus. Number three, be alert to false teachers. Paul warned the Ephesian elders to be on the alert for false teachers in Acts 20 28 through 31, because they will come in from among them and lead them astray. And, um, Paul uses very um, descriptive words, and we're not going to look at that verse, but just um, that they will be like savage wolves. So we are to be alert for false teachers. Number four, be on the alert in prayer. Paul writes to the Ephesians in Ephesians 6.18 and says, With all prayer and petition, pay at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And then in Colossians 4.2, he says, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. So we are to be alert in prayer. And number five, be alert to your spiritual condition. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6 says, So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. And so we need to be considering, what is my spiritual condition? Do I know the Lord? Is he my Savior? Has he transformed my life? Or if I do know him, How am I doing in him? How am I, am I thriving or am I just surviving? Um, So we need to be alert to our spiritual condition. We are not to be asleep. We are not to be um, indolent sluggardly. We are to be paying attention to how we are doing in the Lord. And then number six, we are to be alert because our enemy is lurking. Peter writes to encourage believers in their trials, and in 1 Peter 5, 8-9, through he says, Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world." And so what we see is there's a lot, actually, in the scriptures that we're told to be alert about. And even as we pay attention to those just few, just six things, that's quite a bit, isn't it? It gives us our marching orders for today. I need to be bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. I need to be paying attention to these areas in my life so that I am ready for what God is at work in in this world. And so we are commanded in our text in First Corinthians 16, 13, that we are to be actively on the alert. And we've talked about what that is and why from those examples. And this is significant, I think, because of the uncertainty of our times and is so kind of the lord that he's he's giving us he's telling us you need to be ready you need to be ready and yet the longer it takes for the lord to come back um you know i don't know some of you maybe this um you're not like this but when our daughter was learning how to drive and uh, we would be at the stoplight and she would be very alert when We were at the stoplight, and it was first red. And then the longer it took for it to turn green, then she'd get more... Distracted. And we, we kept telling her, no, honey, the longer you're at the light, the more you need to be ready to go. You know, it's going to change green soon, but it took her a little while because she just kind of thought, all right, it's red. And then she'd be ready to just do something else. Like, no, sweetie, you know, it's drivers need to be ready to go at any moment. And, and this is what this text is reminding us of. That we need to be ready to go at any moment, and yet the longer we kind of wait around, it's easy to be distracted. It's easy for us to get kind of lazy. Um, sometimes we get worn out, we get tired. But the Lord is calling us to is present, active. We are always to be doing this, and we are to be engaged in it. We are to be on the alert. And it just means to be vigilant, to be watchful, to be prepared, to be thoughtful, to be thinking about how we're doing. And uh, Proverbs twenty four one ten says, if you are slack or faint in the day of distress, then your strength is limited or small. And I love that, that verse there in Proverbs 24.10, because it just kind of says flat out, if you you know, if you find in the day of distress that your strength is limited, in other words, that you're just not doing well spiritually, then it means that your strength is small. Well, why would my strength be small in the day of distress? Because my heart isn't prepared. Because I, I'm, I haven't been vigilant over my heart. I haven't been living in the word of God and so this admonition from 1st corinthians 16:13 uh, is a great encouragement for us so that we won't turn into proverbs 24:10 women we want to make sure that we are believing the lord and god says spiritual sloth of just you know spiritual laziness on our part um even false teachers uh, the evil one himself those are all threats to us, but God's answer for us is to be vigilant in prayer, to be watchful over our hearts, to look for areas of laziness or sin that might lull us to uh, falling asleep spiritually. But the biggest reason that we are to be on the alert is simply because the Lord is going to return soon. The times are uncertain. Change is coming. In fact, I can say without a doubt, change is here, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, so we are not to be in a sleepy stupor so that we will be caught off guard. The second command in First Corinthians 16, 13 tells us where and in what way we can be prepared. It says, stand firm in the faith. And though the word stand firm is one word in Greek, but it means to persevere, to persist, to keep on standing firm. Uh, It's another present active command. So it means that we are always and continually and actively to be persisting in our standing, in our standing firm. To stand firm in the faith means you don't waver in uncertainty or in doubt in your faith. And this is, I, I think, really encouraging because it's to be, it's not Anybody's faith. It's your faith. Are you standing firm in your faith? Um, We're not posts in the ground where we're just like standing firm, just stand firm. But why? You know, stand, no, it's to stand firm in faith, in your faith, and in the faith that has been delivered to us. Uh, Joshua 3.17 gives us a picture of what it might look like to stand firm when Joshua and the nation of Israel were getting ready to cross the river Jordan. And it says in Joshua 3.17 that the priests carried the ark of, God, ark of the covenant of the Lord and they went in through the river, the river Jordan, and they stood firm on dry ground um, in the middle of the Jordan until all Israel had crossed on the dry ground and all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan. So the Israelite, uh, the the priests had t- went, and the water, you know, you would think, well, when... when um, a river stops flowing, it's not going to be instantly dry. God dried the land, the ground. And so the priest stood there in the middle while all Israel crossed through, but they stood there on the dry ground. They stood firm. They didn't move around. In Daniel 10.21, an angel comes to Daniel um, while he was praying, and basically his prayers were... a spiritual battle was taking place in heaven while he was praying. And it says in Daniel 10.21, um, one of the angels tells Daniel, there was no one who stood firmly with me against these forces except, except Michael, your prince. And what we see there is the angel is, is telling Daniel, well, while you were praying, there was a spiritual battle happening. And this angel who's talking to Daniel says that Michael the archangel was standing firmly with him. So what we see even from those two different texts is just this example of standing firm. And so we have to ask ourselves, okay, so we know what it means to physically stand firm, uh, but what does it mean spiritually for us? Well, the answer again is in our text. It's where we stand firm. We are to stand firm in the faith. And uh, it just, when we're talking about that and we're looking at that, it's it's the scriptures. What what do we know? What have you been taught? Where are you standing here in the word of God? Um, It's when we, we see that phrase, in the faith. It's everything from the gospel to all of the teaching and training that we get in the scriptures. And if we don't know what the truth is, then we're not going to be able to stand firm in it. And I know you have Bible studies and you get all kinds of great teaching and it's, uh, you're getting things, you're receiving things, but that's not enough. You have to be in your own time, in your home with you, with the Lord alone. You need to be in the word. That's coming and receiving what other people are giving you is wonderful. And it is part of the shoring up, but it's not enough. And it's not enough as time gets more difficult. And so we need more of the word, not less. Um, And so we need to be in the word, in the scriptures, uh, w- whether it's um, you're doing a Bible study, you're reading, you're memorizing, uh, you're spending time. You've got a reading plan, whatever it might be. But you're in the Word and on a as a habit, as often as you can, daily, multiple times a day, in whatever means that you can get. Colossians one twenty three, Paul writes to the Colossian believers and tells them, continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. You know, we we are seeing Christian leaders, um, that even ones that we have respected in the past, who are moving away from the hope of the gospel. They are departing from the scriptures. There's Person after person who's getting sucked into the whole acceptance of the LGBT everything um, they're they're moving away from the hope of the gospel, and we must be on guard. We are to be firmly established and not moved away from the tradition from the teaching that we have been given. If it is new, it is not. Uh, true, basically, is what Charles Spurgeon always used to tell his people. If it's new, it's not true, and that's it's certainly the case for us. We have to be rooted in the right soil, which is why this command here in First Corinthians sixteen thirteen tells us where to stand. It's to, we, that we are to stand in the faith, but it also means that we are to stand in our faith. You must make sure that you have a faith that stands. First, our Titus one thirteen tells us that we are to be sound in the faith, which means that we are to be healthy in our faith. That is to be whole, growing, um, and mature. It's to be free from error. But the only way that we're going to be sound in the faith is from reading and studying and meditating on God's word. Now, I don't think there's one, any one of us here um, who hasn't felt a little buffeted or tossed uh, about by the events of these last few years. And yet, what we see here from what we've been looking at is that God is telling us how we can be steady, how can we can be firm. And though you know there, there's these big winds that come through, uh, we don't have to be hurt by. The, all the events that are going on. We might blow with them, but we're still going to remain firm and steadfast because we're rooted in the soil of God's word. Now, there are some things that can keep us from standing firm. You know, we, you can't stand firm if you don't know the Lord because there is no firmness to life without him. Um, we can't stand firm if we're in rebellion against him, if we are harboring sin in our heart, if there is bitterness, um, if we're not right, if we're not enjoying fellowship with the Lord, we are not going to stand firm because that is going to erode, um, our spiritual moorings. We won't stand firm if we harden our heart to obeying God's word. And so we we need to consider, Lord, am I being tender towards you and your word? Am I, am I following through and obeying what you have given us in your word? Everything that we've talked about, everything so far, it really boils down to, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? because that's the starting point. And yet we know that we can grow up in a Christian home. You can come to church. You can be there all the time. You can be serving. You can be part of Bible study and be spiritually dead. There have been pastor's wives who have been in the ministry for 30 some years and finally get saved. It we can be dead and not realize it. And so we we must consider, how do you know that you are real? Have you seen that your heart is transformed? Are you seeing growth in your life? Is there a quickening in your spirit towards the word of God? Are you sensitive to God's word? Is the word of God living in your life? are you? Um, do you love God's word more today than you did before? Are you seeing changes in your life? But all it takes, if you're not sure, the answer for you, no matter where you are in your walk with the Lord, if you see some things that are dangerous, or if you don't know him, the answer is always the same. Turn to him. Ask him for help. Repent. Uh, to just pray, Lord, I need you. I am afraid to go any further in this life without you. That's all it takes. And he, will, he hears that prayer of faith to just, as you turn from your own independence and turn to him in dependence, that um, he will rescue you. Because we are commanded to stand firm in the faith so we must make sure that we are in the faith. The times are uncertain. Change is coming, and we know change is here. And we are to be on the alert, and we are to stand firm in the faith. And now we come to our third command in the text in First Corinthians sixteen thirteen. We're to act like men. This is like Ooh, (laughs) what are we talking about now? And um, I love this command. It's actually, this word is one of, have you heard the word hapoxlegomena? Okay, well, basically what that is describing is a word that only appears once in the New Testament. And so the word here, um, that is, we're given, the Greek word here is a hopox legomena. It only appears this one time here in uh, the New Testament text. And it's also a different kind of command. The tense is different than the first two. The first two commands were the present active. This one is in present middle imperative. Now, what that means is when it's in the middle, that means that we, the subject, participate in the action. In an active verb, you're going to be doing it. You're going to hit the ball. Um, In a passive verb, the ball hits you. You know, it's done to you. In the middle verb, you are participating in the action. Somebody is helping you hit the ball. And um, in this instance, what we see here is that we are to act like men. In other words, God is going to help us act like men, which is fascinating, isn't it? It's like, well, what does this mean? And uh, the first, I think, is just encouraging to know, even in this command, that might be a little challenging for us to understand that God has already pledged himself to help us. He is at work, he saves us, he gives us gifts, he gives us the Bible, he gives us resources, he gives us the Holy Spirit to reside in us. And in this text, he also gives us what we need. He tells us that he is going to help us as women act like men. Okay, so now it's like, what? Ever does that mean? And how can we, as wonderful Christian women, act like men? And what's that going to look like? Because I don't want to be manly and walk around like this all the time. What is that? Well, we want to make sure that we are acting like men in the truest biblical sense, which is to have courage. That's what acting like men is about. Men are known for their courage. They're the ones who have, they're the protectors. They go into battle. They run first. And um, and so we are to all, all believers are to act like men in the truest, most biblical sense that we would have courage, that we would have conviction, that we would have strength of character that we would do the right thing even in the face of temptation and resistance and persecution and difficulty, even in the face of fear. And this text, you know, when you remember, this letter to the Corinthians was read in a church service. So that means, you know, the kiddos were there, the little mommies, the dads, the older ladies, the older men, everybody, everybody was there, young and old. And everyone by this command is told you are to act like men. But it's not something that you are doing all by your little lonesome. You are, um, so that's one of the things that's encouraging about this. And of course, they, as listeners and, and understanders of Greek, would have gotten that right away. We have to study it and figure it out because Greek is not our first language. But it's so encouraging when we begin to understand this. Um, Amy Carmichael said, true valor lies not in what the world calls success, but in the dogged going on when everything in the man says stop. I love that. I think that's a great example of what we are being asked to do here. Um, When everything in you wants to stop, acting like a man says, no, going to keep going. I'm going to persevere, that dogged persevering of going on. And yet, God helps us to do that. It's not just us. We're not pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. We are not just gritting it out. God helps us to do this. John Calvin was a thin, frail, sickly, pale-looking man, but he was used mightily by the Lord. And he showed much courage in many trials and storms, and yet he was this sickly kind of guy, so he didn't look like much on the outside, but he was manly. George Whitfield was a weak, pudgy, sickly man who had one eye that looked in a different direction than the other one, but he was known for his manly courage. Whitfield was beat up, stoned, and pelted with rotten tomatoes and eggs for preaching the gospel. At one time, a crowd even threw a dead, maggot-infested cat at him. And though he was rejected by the established church, he kept on preaching and doing what God had called and gifted him to do. Why? He was manly. He had courage to keep doing what God had called him to do, even in the face of opposition and difficulty and trial. When we read in Hebrews chapter 11, when we're looking at the by faith people that are listed there in Hebrews 11, all those men and women that are listed in that chapter that showed such courage in the face of persecution and trial, we see that they. Acted like men. They were manly in their courage. Recently uh, I listened to again to, and I listened on audio, this time Fox's Book of Martyrs um, by Harold Chadwick. And if you have never read or listened to that book, it is wonderful. Um, but in it, it's story after story after story of men and women and even children who showed manly courage in the face of tyranny and intimidation and threats and torture and death to hold fast to their faith. And even in that book, uh, many children even exhorted their parents do not give up your faith. When mom and dad were uh, feeling fearful because the, the children were being threatened with torture, the children told their parents, do not deny your faith. And what we see is just that all these people, that, and I just listed those examples, they were all acting like men. They were all exhibiting manly courage because they lived out Psalm 112, verses 7 and 8 that the righteous will not fear evil tidings. Because his heart is steadfast, he is trusting in the Lord, and his heart is upheld, and so he will not fear. Having a manly courage in the face of evil tidings, you know, just the the things that we see and hear, uh, is really That is because our hearts are upheld by the Lord, that we are trusting in Him. We are trusting the Lord, and we are not going to be trusting in um, the experts. We're certainly not going to be trusting in our world leadership. We're we're not going to be trusting in government. We're not going to be trusting in uh, money. We're not going to be trusting in anything else. Uh, We don't need to fear the evil tidings if we know the Lord. And our hearts will be upheld so that we can act with manly courage so that we will be women who can smile at the future. The times are uncertain. Change is coming. Change has come. And we are to be on the alert. We are to stand firm in the faith. We are to act like men. And we come to our fourth command, which is be strong. This command is closely related to acting like men. And this word means to be made strong, strengthened, to gain power, to resist the temptations of the world, the flesh, and Satan. And yet it also has a different verb tense, which is really interesting. It's not in the active tense where we're being called upon to, you do this. And it's not in the middle tense where God helps us to do it, The command to be strong is passive. It's a present passive command, which means today you are receiving from the Lord this action, strength. Isn't that interesting? Now, we would never get that as we're looking at this in the English, would we? And yet, as we study it, we see that more literally, it could be translated that, We are to be strengthened by the Holy Spirit who resides within us from the Word of God. And I love this shift in tense that God is not telling us to be strong in ourselves. We are to receive the strength that He gives us. Only His strength is sufficient for us to have that manly courage that can smile at the future. If we proceed in our own strength, we will fail. We will not stand firm. We will never be able to apply these commands in First Corinthians sixteen, thirteen, and 14 if we look to our own strength and ability. But when we lean on the Lord and His ways, then we can um, be, stand firm in a whole different way that will bring glory to the Lord because it won't be of us. He will be put on display in our lives. And the Holy Spirit helps us to obey this command, which is why Paul prayed for the believers in Ephesians 3.16 to be strengthened by the Spirit in the inner man. Paul prayed that if the believers would be strengthened by the Holy Spirit in their spirit. Colossians 1.11 have, says to be strengthened with all power according to the Lord's glorious might. So, you this is something we can ask the Lord to do for us. Lord, would you strengthen me in my soul? Your Holy Spirit is residing within me. He will help me to be stronger, to be strengthened in my soul, so that I will show manly courage. Second Corinthians 12 9 through 10 says um, when Paul was struggling with his own um, kind of struggles and trials and difficulties and things, and he was asking the Lord, will you please take this trial from me? And he was struggling in the midst of that. And it says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, Jesus told him, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. And Paul's response to that um, truth from the Lord Jesus to him, said, then Paul said, well, then most gladly, therefore, I'll rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. That's that's courage, isn't it? That we would be glad in our weaknesses if God's strength would be put on displayed in us. And Paul goes on to say, he says, I'm well content then with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, because when I am weak, then I'm really strong. And he doesn't explain, but it's in the context that the strength that he has is the strength from the Lord Jesus himself. When we come to the Lord and we receive that strengthening, we don't have to be strong. We can be weak. We can be insulted. We can be in the middle of distresses. We can be in the middle of persecutions. We can have difficulty upon difficulty, and we can feel like complete losers. And we can still be strengthened by the Lord because when we go to Him and ask Him, Lord, will you please be put on display In my weakness, would your strength be seen? That's what the Lord will do for us. And that's what our text is teaching us in that Be Strong command. Philippians 4.13 is another place where we're told about being strong. In Philippians 4.13, Paul is talking about learning contentment and being content in all circumstances. But he explains that the only way that he can do that is by the Lord's help. And he says in 4.13 of Philippians, I can do all things through Christ, who strengthens me. And I love this precious verse, and it's definitely a Hobby Lobby verse. You know, we all, we've all seen it. Um, and its power and grandeur, to a certain extent, has been diminished, I think, because it is so common out there, isn't it? And um, it's kind of been turned into a Christian version of the Nike slogan, you know, just do it. And it's like, I can do it. You know, I can do all things. And and it's become this aberration that God has never intended it to be. It has never been, I can do all things. It's, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so we are told that in 1 Corinthians sixteen thirteen, that we are to be strong. But the only way that we will ever be strong is through Christ who strengthens us. And the Lord is doing that to us. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 um, helps us see how to put our text into practice in our lives. And it says, trust in the Lord with how much of your heart? all of your heart. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight and he will help you have manly courage. The times are uncertain. Change is coming. In fact, change is here We are to be on the alert. We are to stand firm in the faith. We are to act like men and be strengthened by the strength which God supplies. And finally, we come to our last command. Let all that you do be done in love. And this command is like the command in um, act like men. It's in the middle voice, which means that we participate in the action. It means that God's going to help us. Do all things in love. 1 John 4.19 tells us we love because he first loved us. And because God is love and he loved us and he desires that we love others and that we act in love in all that we do, then he's also going to help us to do that. And he helps us in uh, this command that we are to love others and put love on display in our lives. Jesus said that love is needed in the times um, when he comes back, in that the times leading up to his return, love is needed. Matthew 24 in verses 3 through 14, it's kind of a lengthy passage, so if you would like to turn there, you can, but you don't have to. Jesus says this, Um, As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, you know, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors and wars. See that you are not frightened, for these things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom in various places. There will be famines and earthquakes, but all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Uh, Then they will deliver you to tribulation, and they will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many, because lawlessness is increased. Most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. When sin increases and people cast off the Lord, love is not seen. We are not seeing a kind, generous, open-hearted, patient world, are we? we? That is not in the place in which we are living. And yet, we need to make sure that our love does not grow cold. And 1 Corinthians sixteen fourteen, or yes, 14 tells us, that we are to let all that we do be done in love. Why? Because the world in which we are living is growing more and more hateful. And so when love is put on display, God is magnified. He is put on display and the darkness (coughs) is given light. And we are to let all that we do be done in love. Paul says the same thing in 2 Timothy 3 1 through 4. Realize this that in the last days, difficult times will come because men are going to be lovers of self, lovers of money. They are going to be boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irre- irreconcilable, malicious, gossips, without self control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And yet we are to let all that we do be done in love. And this command here um, is just a a good reminder um, that no matter what, even what we're doing is to be done in love. We can look at verse 13 and we could be tempted to be stridently on the alert to pridefully stand firm, to aggressively act like men, to boastfully be strong. But this command, let all that you do be done in love, sweeps away every fleshly response that we might be tempted to engage in. And we are to respond with gentleness and patience and selflessness because that's how God wants us to act ephesians four one through three Paul says, "Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Be diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. The times are uncertain. Change is coming. Change has come. We are to be alert. We are to stand firm in the faith. We are to act like men. We are to be strong by the strength which the Lord supplies for us. And we are to do it all and more in the love which God supplies for us. There's an old hymn um, that is this rousing call to arms um, called, Rise Up, O Men of God. And the men always love singing it. I think they probably sing it at every men's retreat. But, uh, (laughs) But it's for us, because we are to act like men and show manly courage. Rise up, O manly women of God. Have done with lesser things. Give your heart and soul and mind and strength to serve the king of kings. Rise up, O manly women of God. His kingdom tarries long. Bring in the day of brotherhood and end the night of wrong. Rise up, O men of God. The church for you doth wait. Send forth to serve the needs of men. In Christ our strength is great. Lift high the cross of Christ. Tread where his feet have trod. As brothers of the Son of Man, rise up. O son of God. Rise up, O saints of God. Rise up, O women of God. Have done with lesser things. Give your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength to serve the king of kings because we want to be on the alert, to stand firm, to act like men, to be strong in the Lord's strength and doing all things in the love that we get from the Lord. Hebrews 13, five and six said, Jesus says, I will never desert you. I will never forsake you. And so we have confidence to say, well, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? When we remember these truths, then we can be women who smile at the future. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.